Due to the graphic nature of this haunted place, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes descriptions of gore and murder. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Tanner sunk his mop into the bucket of soapy water and slapped it onto the hardwood. There was a lot of floor at Casa Loma, thousands of square feet of it. The place had dozens of rooms with wall-to-wall wood, lush red velvet furniture, and ornate chandeliers, and it was Tanner's job to make it spotless. He sighed. Weekends cleaning an old tourist hotspot wasn't exactly the most fun job, but at least it gave him some cash and he was saving up for something he couldn't stop thinking about. A drum set. Tanner tapped out a beat on the mop handle. He lived for percussion. He spent most of his time drumming out new rhythms or listening to imaginary solos crashing in his head. His obsession got him yelled at at school for not paying attention. But he found something he loved. Why shouldn't he give it everything he had? He stopped drumming for a moment to dip the mop back in the bucket. But the tapping continued. Tanner looked around the room, trying to find the source. He finally craned his neck to peer directly behind him. His stomach dropped. A woman was tapping her fingers rhythmically on the wall, glaring at Tanner. His blood went cold. This was no tourist. Her cheeks were streaked with tears, and her white dress was soaked through with blood. Adrenaline rushed through Tanner's veins. He dropped the mop. But before he could run, she reached out and grabbed his arm. The tapping sound grew louder and louder until he felt like his skull would burst. She leaned forward, her voice in a vicious whisper, and told Tanner to get out of her house. Welcome to Haunted Places, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. You can find all episodes of Haunted Places and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And every Tuesday, make sure to check out Urban Legends. These special episodes of Haunted Places are available exclusively on Spotify. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to Canada, to the Gothic castle of Casa Loma, and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. Coming up, the dark beginnings of Casa Loma. High above the bustle of Toronto, Canada, sits a structure that looks like it came straight out of the English countryside. Its medieval-style turrets, thick stone walls, and vast square footage might convince you knights and lords once stalked its halls. But Casa Loma is a modern replica of a Middle Ages beauty, finished in 1914. Fascinated by European castles, Canadian financier Sir Henry Pellet crafted his very own citadel in his home country. Casa Loma has 98 rooms and 25 fireplaces. 
There were even plans for three bowling alleys, a rifle range, and an indoor swimming pool. All told, it cost Pellet the equivalent of 65 million U.S. dollars today. But that wasn't the only price he paid. In 1924, Pellet and his wife Mary faced financial ruin, and they were forced to move out of the home. The devastation of losing such a lovingly crafted masterpiece no doubt weighed heavily on the Pellets. It could be enough to drive anyone to madness, and some to murder. Rose sat at the head of the long oak table, swirling her martini in its glass. She leaned back, feeling like a queen as she watched her guests. The young girls giggled amongst themselves, their fancy mothers telling them to behave. Rose might not have any children of her own, but she had something they didn't. Casa Loma. This gorgeous house was her child. And these dinner parties for the Girl Guides of Canada were her chance to show it off. She gazed up at the ornate chandelier that hung over the massive table. The carved wood around it glowed golden in the candlelight. Every time she looked around, her heart felt full. Beside her, one of the girls knocked over her glass of sparkling cider, startling Rose. She jumped up from the table, trying to save her gown. She always wore a long, white dress to these events. It made her stand out against the dark mahogany. The girl's mother apologized profusely as Rose's maid cleaned up the mess. Rose smiled, assuring her it was fine. But truly, it irked her. Any damage to her home, no matter how slight, was upsetting. Rose looked at her husband, William, at the far end of the table. He busied himself with his drink, sulking. Rose felt a prick of annoyance. She'd been waiting for him to make a toast, but it looked like she'd just have to do it herself, like she did everything else. William's money built the castle, but it was Rose's creativity and imagination that designed each elaborate detail. Casa Loma couldn't exist without her. She had imbued herself in every corner. Rose tapped her knife against her glass to get the dinner party's attention. But before she could open her mouth, William swept out of the room. She stared after him in confusion. A door slammed in the distance, making Rose wince. She hated slamming doors. She hated anything that could harm her precious home. But the show must go on. So she smiled at her guests and thanked them all for coming. An hour later, Rose bid her guests farewell, locking the door after the last of them had left. She had a lot to do. Her maid would clean up, but she usually did another sweep afterwards. No one took better care of Casa Loma than she did. But she stopped when she heard music seeping through the floorboards under her feet. William was down in the tunnels again. Anger tightened in her chest. Rose stormed through the study, popping open a wall panel to reveal a hidden passageway. It was thrillingly medieval. Another one of her inspired ideas during construction. But lately, the tunnels below the house had become William's refuge when he was in a mood. Rose lit a lantern and strode down the twisting steps into the darkness below. A large corridor loomed in front of her, with a few doors on each side. A light spilled out from under one of them, William's wine cellar. 
Rose opened the door, and the music swelled. William stood at the far end of the windowless room, listening to a jazz record on the phonograph, and staring at a tapestry of a battle scene. A massive wine rack covered the wall beside him. Rose lifted the needle off the record and demanded William tell her what was wrong. With all his slamming and sulking, he'd made her look bad in front of her guests. He was quiet for a long moment before he told Rose that they were ruined. The silence hung thickly between them. Rose stared at William in confusion as he elaborated. They'd overspent on the house for years, and now his business was floundering. Their coffers had run dry. They'd have to say goodbye to Casa Loma. A cackle burst from Rose's chest. She told William that Casa Loma wasn't just a home. It was part of her. It wasn't something she'd ever say goodbye to. William's face crumpled with rage. He screamed at her that they were done. They might as well burn the place down. It wasn't theirs anymore. William yanked on the tapestry, pulling it to the ground. Then he grabbed a bottle of wine and chucked it against the wall. It exploded in a shower of glass and liquid, the dark red wine falling to the carpet like droplets of blood. Rose stared at the stains, anger rising in her chest. But William wasn't finished. He threw another bottle, then another. Rose screamed at him, telling him she'd divorce him before he made her leave Casa Loma. It was everything to her. But William continued his rampage. He smashed a wine bottle over the arm of one of the chairs, and red wine cascaded onto the velvet. William gripped the shattered bottle's still intact neck and stabbed it into the upholstery. Agony ripped through Rose. He was trying to destroy her house, her child. And a mother doesn't just stand idly by when someone rips her babe from her arms. She had to do something. Rose leapt on him with a shriek, pounding his back with her fists. William pushed her off. She lunged at him again, and his hand shot up to stop her. Rose froze as a burning sensation crept through her neck. She touched her throat and felt a wet, sticky substance on her fingertips. She looked down and gasped. Her hands were covered in blood. Drops of crimson splashed onto her pristine white dress, just like the wine had splattered the carpet. Her eyes fell on a broken, bloody wine bottle in William's hand, and then met his shocked eyes. William had cut her throat. Rose sank to her knees, her vision blurring, and grabbed at her neck. But it was useless. Her blood surged past her fingers as she locked eyes with William. She felt a bitter sense of satisfaction from the look of horror on his face. But as darkness pressed in, her last thought wasn't about him. It was of Casaloma, and how now she would never have to leave. Staff and guests of Casa Loma believe that the castle is home to a ghostly woman in a white dress, who they call the White Lady. Some think she was a maid who passed away from influenza during the 1918 flu pandemic. But others contend that the true ghosts of Casa Loma are its creators, Henry Pallet and his wife Mary. Mary Pallet died in 1924, the same year the Pallets were forced out of the home. 
Henry, however, didn't die until 1939. There's no record detailing how either Mary or Henry passed away. But while they didn't die in the house, various mediums claim their spirits chose Casa Loma as their permanent home because of the trauma they endured when they were forced to leave. After all, they put their entire lives into its creation. Perhaps they dedicated their death to it as well. Coming up, an engineer's greatest passion consumes her. Imagine living with a secret so big that if anyone ever found out, it would change everything. Imagine carrying that secret with you every day, desperate to one day get it off your chest. Do you think you could take a secret like that to the grave? I'm Estefania Hageman, host of the new podcast series, Deathbed Confessions, the show where we dive deep into the most explosive things people have admitted to while drawing their last breath. From murder, fake identities, heists, illicit affairs, and even top government secrets. This season on Deathbed Confessions, we investigate cases like Frank Thorogood, the construction worker who claimed that the drowning of Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones was no accident. Margaret Gibson, a silent film actress who, while dying of a heart attack, confessed to one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Hollywood history. And ex-CIA officer Howard Hunt, who on his deathbed confessed to playing a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast, airing episodes weekly starting July 21st. Follow and listen to Deathbed Confessions for free on Spotify. Now back to the story. In the 1930s, the Kiwanis Club took over ownership of Casa Loma and turned it into a tourist attraction. The Kiwanis Club is an international volunteer group that provides aid to communities. And at the time, Casa Loma became the club's West Toronto chapter. But charity events and tours weren't the only purposes Casa Loma was serving. During the 1940s, the castle held far more secrets than visitors could have fathomed. Because right under their feet, a secret lab was helping the Allies win World War II. Adele paced beside the assembly line of parts, quietly chugging away in the dim basement. The only source of light were a few dim bulbs overhead and the tiny boarded up windows near the ceiling. It made things dreary, but the secrecy was necessary because there were hordes of people outside and none of them could know Adele and her team existed. Adele could hear voices outside of Casa Loma's tourists enjoying the beautiful spring day. It sounded nice, but frivolity wasn't her cup of tea. She'd rather tinker with machines. Machines were a language she understood. She had spent her whole life learning about gears and metals, and little else interested her. Adele stared fondly at the assembly line as it efficiently spat metal parts onto a rotary belt for the lab techs to assemble. They were making Aztec devices, a British sonar technology that could detect German U-boats almost five miles away. Knowing where the Germans were before they struck was essential to keep the shipping lanes between Britain and the U.S. open. The Germans had bombed their previous lab in Britain at the end of 1942, so they needed to be much more secretive this time around. Casa Loma provided the perfect cover. No one would guess that beneath the tourists' feet, 
an important war effort was underway. It was like hiding a book in a bookcase, or something like that. Similes weren't really Adele's cup of tea either. The tunnels under the house had lots of twists and turns, leading to wine cellars and offices. They used the biggest room for their lab. They'd had to knock out some walls and get rid of the room's beautifully carved wooden doorways to fit their equipment, but they'd made the space work. One of the machines suddenly lurched to a halt. Adele's stomach flipped. This had been happening a lot lately, and she couldn't figure out why. She hurried over, carefully prying off the lid to see what was wrong. She clucked her tongue. A piece of metal had fallen down into the gears. Any replacements would take a long time to get here. The channel for supplies had to be covert, which added days to a simple request. Adele looked at their unfinished daily quota and sighed. She'd have to repair it herself. It would take the better part of the night, and no one liked staying in Casa Loma when the sun went down. The other lab techs had complained about weird things happening after dark. Machines turning on and off, doors slamming. But Adele didn't buy into that stuff. To her, a night with a bunch of loose parts sounded like a lovely evening. She dismissed her workers and grabbed her tools. As the lab techs filtered out, Adele pried open the body of the machine, exposing its wire-filled innards. A thrill ran through her. It was hard to direct a whole base of employees, but when it came to this, she was utterly in charge. She grabbed a wrench and disappeared into a world of metal, tightening bolts and testing belts and wires. And when she next looked up, the room had darkened. She checked her watch and accidentally dropped the wrench. It hit the wood floor hard, making a dent in the grain. Adele sighed and picked it up. It wasn't the first bit of damage their presence had inflicted. The machines had made dings and dips all over the room, so she was hardly concerned. But before she turned back to her work, she noticed something in the corner of the room. At first, she thought it was a shadow, but then she realized it was a figure, a woman. A shock of adrenaline coursed through her. The woman stood very still, with her back to Adele staring at one of the walls they'd renovated for the lab. Her white dress blended in with the fresh paint. Adele felt frozen. She didn't recognize this woman and hadn't heard her come in. It wouldn't be the first time she'd gotten so sucked into a machine that she hadn't been aware of what was happening around her. But if this was a tourist that had found their lab, she was in deep trouble. She cleared her throat nervously and asked the woman what she was doing there. Did she need Adele to show her out? The woman whipped around, her eyes furious. She told Adele that was a stupid question. This was her house, and Adele was destroying it. Then, like a light winking out, the woman suddenly disappeared. Adele stared at the spot where the woman had stood, utterly confused. She just been there, and now she was gone. Adele looked around the empty lab. The room was pretty dark. Maybe the shadows had played tricks in her. But she'd spoken. Adele shivered. She was suddenly very ready to go home. She hurried to the door. 
the thunderous crash of machinery stopped her in her tracks. The assembly line surged on, as did the device that had still been dysfunctional just moments ago. All the lights started flashing on and off. Horror washed over her as she watched the mechanical elements of the room, all things she'd always understood, act totally bizarre. Adele sprinted for the door, but before she could reach it, someone grabbed her hair, sending her careening backwards. Adele was dragged toward the whirring assembly line as she flailed, straining to look upwards. She could see the woman in white's pale hand grasping her hair. The woman's voice shrieked in her ear. She said it was her house, and Adele had wrecked it with her machines. And now, Adele dared suggest she leave? The woman dragged her toward the open machine she'd just been working on. A scream burst from Adele's throat as the churning gears grew closer. She thrashed, but the woman's grip didn't loosen. In fact, the pulling got stronger and almost smoother. Adele desperately craned her neck to see the woman no longer held her hair. It had been fed into the machine. She screamed in unbridled terror. The gears gnashed her hair like teeth, pulling her closer and closer. They worked more perfectly than Adele had ever seen. She screamed for the woman to help her, but she was gone. It was just her and the machine, just like she'd always wanted. While tourists crowded the grounds of Casa Loma during World War II, a construction-in-progress sign hung at the entrance of the castle's old stables. The stables led to underground tunnels, where engineers secretly developed sonar systems for the war. These same tunnels are rumored to be haunted. Sightings of the White Lady are said to occur there, usually toward the end of the day. Visitors have also reported hearing odd noises and having their hair pulled by an invisible force. Just because the basement is tucked away in the bowels of the castle doesn't mean its original owners cared about it any less. In fact, these hidden halls may have never been meant for anyone to enjoy but them, much less outsiders. And perhaps that is precisely why the White Lady lingers there, ready to defend the sanctity of her home, even in death. Coming up... An actor feigns fear for a scene, only to get the real thing. Now back to the story. The grandeur of Casa Loma seems tailor-made for cinema, so it's no surprise that it's frequently used as a filming location. The prestigious Oak Room was Richard Gere's office in 2002's Chicago, while the interiors were used for X-Men in 2000. It must be fun to make believe among the lavish grandeur of the Canadian castle, but it would be disturbing to find the danger in Casa Loma isn't always fabricated by your director or co-star. Sometimes it's very, very real. Tom closed his eyes as the Kaffir rotated the LED light toward his face. He took a breath trying to sink into his character. He wasn't Tom right now, he was Godfrey, a wealthy swindler with no morals, a white-collar crook who was desperate to hang on to his lavish lifestyle at any cost. He whispered this mantra to himself, and when the director yelled action, 
Tom opened his eyes just as his co-star Lonnie waltzed in. She slammed the door behind her and sashayed past the cameraman. The director and producer watched her, crouching behind the monitor, as the sound tech waved a boom microphone over Lonnie's head. Tom wished he couldn't see them. He wished he could only see the massive mahogany office with its ornate carvings and book-laden shelves, the opulence and luxury that his character had worked so hard for. But as much as he wanted to ignore them, there they were. Evidence he wasn't in an office. He was on set. Tom felt frustration boil in his belly. When Lonnie said her next line, telling him she knew he'd been stealing, that their estate was going to be lost, Tom could feel himself acting. He mechanically tossed his whiskey tumbler at the wall and told her that this house was his greatest achievement and he would never leave. The director yelled cut, and Lonnie smiled at him sympathetically. Tom's cheeks flushed. He could feel the stares. Everyone knew that was terrible, just like he did. The director approached him, but Tom waved him off. He told the director he knew the take was awful. He just needed a minute. Then he ran out of the room. Tom hurried through the dusty dining room with its crimson rug and gilded chairs. When he'd first arrived, he'd been impressed with the upkeep. This place had been built 80 years ago, and everything was in remarkable shape. But a closer look revealed the shabby edges of the rugs and the cracks in the wood paneling. It was a well-polished, decaying monstrosity. Maybe that was why it was so hard for Tom to embody his character's obsession. He just didn't believe the place was worth the fuss. Tom strode into the bedroom that had been designated as his dressing room. He slammed the door behind him and took a breath to steady his churning gut. He knew he was blowing this role, but he reasoned it was because he cared too much. Acting was his life, his essence. He craved the cameras, the lights, and most of all, he craved inhabiting another person. And with this project, that unbridled joy of achieving character immersion just wasn't happening. It was maddening. Tom stared daggers at himself in the dirt-streaked mirror. He whispered that he was a failure. It was over. He closed his eyes and took a breath. When he opened them, he found himself staring at someone else's face. A jolt of terror rocketed through him. The face belonged to a pale, trembling woman standing behind him. Tom shuddered as he realized her neck was soaked in blood. She croaked out a single word. Leave. Tom screamed and turned around. But the woman wasn't there. He looked in the mirror again, but saw nothing. Except a portrait on the other side of the room. Tom strode over to it. It was an oil painting of a somber man with a smiling woman clinging to the crook of his arm. Tom blinked. It was the woman he'd just seen behind him. Tom let out a relieved laugh. He was just startled by this woman's portrait in the mirror, that was all. The rest of it was just his imagination. But the portrait looked off. He stepped closer, trying to get a sense of what was wrong with it. And then he realized the woman's eyes were moving. He watched them blink, and her brow furrowed into a deep frown. Panic seized Tom's limbs as very slowly the woman's head lifted out 
of the oil painting. Her shoulders followed, releasing from the flat picture with a sucking pop. He still couldn't move. All he could do was watch in fascinated horror as she leaned down toward him and asked him, her voice full of loathing, why he was pretending this was his house. He stumbled back as she rose out of the frame, arms flailing toward him. He grabbed behind him for the door, his eyes glued in terror to the portrait. But instead of the doorknob, he grabbed an icy cold hand. He whipped around. The woman stood in front of the door, no longer a painting, but a real woman in a long white dress. She smiled coldly, her eyes alight with fury. She told him, when you love something so much, you become a part of it. He couldn't run from her in Casaloma, because she was Casaloma. She latched her cold hands around Tom's neck and squeezed. He frantically clawed at her grip, moaning with fear and devastation. He was going to die. And the last thing he'd done was give a terrible performance. With this thought, his fear drained and anger took its place. His body lurched forward with more strength than he thought he'd had. The woman's cold hands fell away from his neck and he lunged into the hallway, gasping for air. He sprinted through the dining room, desperate to get away from her. But as his hand closed on the doorknob that led to set, he paused. The throbbing terror coursing through his body made him feel almost giddy. This was the feeling he'd been searching for. Tom hurried into the office and screamed at the director to go again. The rush hit him as he watched Lonnie enter and no longer saw his co-star, but his wife. Now there was no director or crew, just the office. And he really meant the words he yelled as he threw his whiskey tumbler that this house was everything, and he didn't care if his obsession swallowed him whole. He'd give his life for it, if he had to. Today, Casa Loma holds ghost tours of the castle led by paranormal experts who also document their encounters. But during one particular recording, while attempting to film footage in the former room of Mary Pellet, one of their tapes mysteriously went missing. After attempting to record the room a second time, another camera shut off after 10 minutes of filming. It seemed like something didn't want them to capture any evidence of the house's spirits. In reality, actual sightings of Casaloma's ghosts are rare, but visitors have heard children's voices, gruff sighs, and a medium even recorded a disembodied voice mimicking them. Since the pellets were forced to leave in 1924, the castle has been under all kinds of different ownership. Today, it serves as a tourist attraction, event hall, and even a restaurant. But no matter what institution fixes its name to the castle's grandeur, Casa Loma's first and original purpose will always be a residence designed with love to fulfill Henry and Mary's dreams. And once you pour yourself so completely into something, it's hard to give it up, even if it kills you. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back on Thursday with a new episode. And don't forget to come back on Tuesday for our Urban Legends series, available only on Spotify. 
You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Haunted Places is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Kenny Hobbs. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Kate Murdoch, with writing assistance by Molly Quinlan and Alex Garland, fact-checking by Amber Hurley, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Greg Polson. <laughs>